Welcome to your favorite African podcast, Parole, with your host Alexandra Yamoyaoye. Today's guest is a Burundian prodigy, Frank Nijimbere, who through passion and resilience paved his way through education by first joining one of the greatest schools in Burundi, International School of Bujumbura. With his good grades, he was able to join Morehouse College for a scholarship to study CS, computer science, and mathematics. And now Frank is a PhD student at the University of Oxford as a Rhodes Scholar. Although he's still young, I'm sure that his testimony will inspire more than one. Africa is home to the youngest population, and technology is playing a great part in reducing inequalities. Frank is one of many who's challenging the status quo, and by doing so, changing the African narrative. In 2018, Frank joined a group of African friends to start Jamie Finance, a startup that aims at improving personal finance for the continent, and by doing so, improving the life of billions of Africans. He's currently working on his PhD with an emphasis on improving the health system by using data and AI. De l'École internationale de Bujumbura, Oxford, il n'y a qu'un pas, celui du travail. For those living in Burundi who might have this interest in CS, programming, or anything relating to STEM, check the Google Developers Bujumbura, where you'll find like-minded Burundians, and hopefully you will work on projects that bring long-term solutions to the country's needs. You can check Jamie Finance on their website, jamieinvest.com, and the team have launched their podcast, Jamie Finance. You can also add Frank Nijibiri on LinkedIn, and you can find him on Clubhouse. I'm dropping every social media. Same goes for Parole, available on major podcast platforms, Apple, Google, Spotify, and on Instagram at Parole Podcast. Enjoy. Episode of Parole with a Burundian uh, who's, uh, who used to speak French. I can start there. <laughs> who now feels comfortable speaking English, which I understand. And uh, he's here to talk about so many things. So if you're bright, stay around, basically. And if you want to learn more about the artificial intelligence, blockchain, something like that, or just investing in general, please do. So his name is Franck Nijimbele. Who are you, monsieur? Thank you, Alexandra, for having me. I think I still speak French, but maybe I'm just a little bit more comfortable in English uh, now. Uh, so yes, uh, as you said, uh, I'm Franck Nijimbele. Uh, I'm Burundian, uh, firstborn of uh, three children. Um, I was born in Gozi, 1997. We did uh, a few uh, moves back and forth between Bujumbura and Gozi growing up. Uh, I went to Bujumbura around 2000. Um, then came back around 2001 and then, uh, well, came back to Ngozi uh, and then went back to Bujumbura um, in 2004. Yes, yeah, so I started my education in Ngozi at Ecole Espérance. Uh, I, th I, th I think it was the first private school in Ngozi. While I was in Bujumbura in, in 2000, I was at Ecole Independente where I did uh, what we call Ecole Maternelle. I, I think one interesting story is that uh, when I went back, Tungozi after Ecole Independente, they made me basically skip one year of kindergarten when, when, when I went back to Ngozi. I haven't really figured out why exactly, mm. uh, but it, it has been really convenient to kind of go through uh, education with like one year already uh, skipped. Um, and then uh, what, when we went to Bujumbura in 2004, I was at uh, Ecole Internationale. And I do remember that I used to struggle a lot because the, the levels at both schools were, were 
different for different subjects. Mm -hmm. So, for example, at Ecole Espérance, they're a little bit more advanced in terms of uh, French and um, orthographe conjugation. Okay, right. Uh -huh. uh, that, that, that kind of thing. But uh, they were much behind when it, when it came to arithmetic, for example. Uh, so I was very lucky, uh, especially that I was very much behind uh, when, when it came to mathematics. And I'm so grateful for my teacher back then for not saying, okay, you need to go back one year. And I think maybe something that helped was that uh, even though I was not very good at, at mathematics, I was still really good at French and all, all, all the other subjects. Uh, so I did a lot of intensive um, courses after school to be able mm -hmm. to catch up. Uh, I, I, I did catch up eventually and uh, I was ranking around top five at the end of that year. Uh, that that was in in deuxième uh, année primaire, um, second year of primary school. Uh, so I did my whole education at my whole primary and, and secondary educa education at the Internationale with the famous skipping uh, sixth grade uh, yeah. when when you do well. Um, and I, I did skip skip that. I think that I really appreciated a lot the foundation that I had in primary school. Uh, I think that it, it it was not particularly hard, and I think that. But at the same time, I feel like I had a lot of support with with my parents. I do remember that my mom used to help me uh, with homework. I used to even I knew that, that that I wasn't very good at English back then, so I used to ask her to, to to explain me the next lesson so that I could actually be able to do decently. Used to get a lot of help with homework uh, back then, and it did did help because I was always ranking like among the, the the top if not you know <laughs> yeah and the first <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah uh and then i came uh secondary school kept up uh with, with it i think that now I, i do not need as much help as i did uh in, in primary school I, I feel like i had been able to catch up with my own rhythm and understood the way that i worked and uh that that went on tried to get involved with extracurriculars, but mm -hmm. uh, th th there was not as many uh, extracurriculars that actually kind of like fitted my style. And mm -hmm. I feel like for a lot of time, I kind of felt like uh, almost like, a, okay, I'm, I'm not sure how to describe it, but but I, I feel like, and, and, and I'm still, um, but I, I was kind of a nerd back then. And I kind of wanted something that kind of uh, helped me uh, grow into that. Uh, I think th there were uh, clubs like Genie for for example. But back then, it was very much restricted to to students who were in the in the uh, grades above. Although there were some competitions between grades, but still they were very limited. But when I was in tenth grade, and also I, I think some something to mention is that uh, I was also very lucky to always have a computer around uh, at home. Back then, my mom w w was finishing university. She used to, to give us some uh, things to type on the computer, uh, whether it was her thesis or maybe other things that she had to do. Uh, and we're all, always very happy to get to use the computer and we'll try to finish that as soon as possible so that we could be able to play games on the computer, for example. At some point, games became uh, too boring, and then uh, I started exploring things on the computer, like Microsoft tools. Um, then that, that's when I learned about uh, Microsoft Publisher and how you could create a website with that. I was so proud, and, 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 and I think back then, 
it was the time when people were starting to create like like Facebook accounts uh, when more and more people ha had access to emails and, 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 and we could correspond to our uncles and aunts who were abroad. And I was like, hmm, I think I'm going to create my own social media, you know, and, and I called it Skynet, you know, back then. And I was so proud of it. One day, one of my cousins came to, to visit. Uh, he was doing co computer science uh, in uh, university. And I proudly showed him the website that I, that I had created with Microsoft Publisher. And then he was like, oh, like that, 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 that's really good. But you know that you can do better than that uh, with HTML. So he basically opened Notepad on the computer, uh, wrote a few HTML tags. HTML is basically this language that's used to create uh, websites. Uh, but he, he, he wrote a few lines and then like all of a sudden he, he, he opened the browser and, and, and he had all these letters jumping from one side to the other. Uh, he, could, he could change the background like just from, from one line of code. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. I really have to learn about this. And back then, in order to access the internet, you had to go to the local cyber internet cafe or like cyber internet, whatever. So I went there and I went to this website uh, called Site du Zero back then. I think now it's called Open Classrooms. And I just uh, downloaded programming languages course. So uh, at first I wanted to learn about HTML, but then like by doing a little bit of Googling, I figured that there is something called programming and that you can use it to create applications and and back then I was more interested in, in, in creating games because I loved games or viruses because I had to deal uh, with uh, viruses so much with the computer at home that every three months that, that they had to go clean it up again and like it just wouldn't work because you know like access to internet was not all that updating didn't work like that I, I really wanted to create a virus just out of curiosity like what, what, what is this thing that always uh, destroys my computer uh, so back then that I figured that in order to, to create viruses, you have to, to use a language called C. Uh, so I downloaded a tutorial on C and I started learning. And I remember that summer, it was an amazing summer. Like I would just like wake up in the morning, go to my computer, read about uh, C and like an experiment on the side until lunch and then like eat lunch and then go back to it. And then at some point, and I was able to create a few programs here and there. I was able to, to create a few viruses here and there. Not very harmful, not very like smart or anything, but I, but I was able to do something that was, that could do something. And I, and, and, and I felt very powerful in that sense. And then what happened at some point, it was getting like really, really hard. The things that I was learning were just like going over my head. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to take a break learning C. I'm going to, to go back to what get, got me into this uh, in the first place. So I learned about HTML, I learned about CSS, and I started creating websites. Uh, and I think we're going secret superior, or I'm not sure how that translates in English. Uh, high school? I guess high school. Back then, I was very lucky to meet uh, another group of nerds uh, in my neighborhood. Uh, we lived in Kinenha'a. I was able to meet a few other uh, young students who were, who were also nerds about computers and, and will be sharing tutorials. And, and then we had the idea we should create a company and we should be creating websites for people, repairing computers for people, because yeah. like we, we had all this knowledge, like, oh, like let's make money with it, you know? Uh, we did that for a bit, uh, created uh, one or two websites, uh, repaired computers here and there, uh, made a little bit of money, uh, not so much, but, you know, it was really nice, you know? And then uh, back then, 
uh, I also wanted to uh, study in the US. Why? I think that if you grew up watching MTV and like, you know, like they really sell the, the, the American <laughs> dream and, and you feel like, hmm, I really have to go there. I really have to like yeah. uh, make it. So since basically 11th, 11th grade or maybe like uh, troisième, not exactly sure how that translates in English, basically three years before graduating high school. Yeah, yeah uh, the beginning I, of high school, basically. Okay. I started uh, researching about, uh, actually, before that what happened, uh, there was this school in South Africa called African Leadership Academy. Okay. Yeah. They came to uh, International, International to recruit uh, students. Uh, and I was very excited about it because many students who, who went there uh, would get scholarships to go to the U.S. and at the greatest universities in the world. Um, and, and I was like, hmm, this is my chance to actually make it there because I knew that education there is very expensive. My parents would not be able to afford it. I jumped into that application, but honestly, it was really the first application I had ever submitted. I wait to hear back and never hear, well, I only hear back like really, really late, but I did not even make it to the next stage, basically to the interview. And I was so enthusiastic about it because I felt, oh, like I have these sort of curriculars, especially with my background of uh, programming on the side, with uh, the academics also worked in my favor. But I think that maybe with the one thing that I, that, that, that I liked, I didn't know how to tell the story. But then like, I'm like, okay, I missed that chance, but I will still try to, to apply again directly eventually. Uh, so I, I started researching about universities in the US, about scholarships that, that were available. Like I literally had a small notebook where I wrote every university, every scholarship available to just make sure that by the time I will be able to apply. I think at the end of that year, I, I took the TOEFL. So I studied for the TOEFL. No, I, I think that was in, in um, the next year basically like two years before graduating high school, I, I took the TOEFL. Uh, at the same time, I also applied again to African Leadership Academy. And again, here for the background, so it's a, it's a two-year pre-university um, school. Uh, so typically students go there after they finish high school, maybe a few years before they finish high school. You, you will typically get a scholarship, uh, but although like they would expect you to, to contribute a little bit. Uh, so I apply again to African Leadership Academy. This time, I think that I have learned uh, from my past mistakes. I try to tell a good story. And again, well, this time I get to the interview stage, I interview and everything. And then they're like, okay, Frank, we like you, but we want you to come back after you finish high school. Uh, and I'm like, mm. back then I really loved the school and I loved mm -hmm. the kind of uh, story that uh, they were telling, educating the, the next generation of leaders of Africa and, and entrepreneurs. And I was sold by the dream. And I was like, okay, like I'll come after I finish. But at the same time, I was like, I'm still go going to apply because okay. two years is definitely a detour, you know? Yeah. And then what happened is that during that, that, that time, I think that's another ex experience that also uh, kind of put me on the right path, I would say, uh, if there is any right path anyways. But I went to the summer camp called uh, 24 Peace. It was organized by Amel Nibasumba. It was a summer camp around uh, entrepreneurship and Pacific resolution of conflicts. We did learn a lot, a lot of things from that camp, you know, around entrepreneurship, around leadership and conflict resolution and everything. But I feel like the one thing that I learned more from that was, well, the one thing that I gained the most was really interact interacting with these 
Burundian students were students in the in the U.S. on full mm-hmm. scholarships. You know, I was like, hmm, like I really want to be like them when I grow up. So, like, I kept in touch with them. I asked for their uh, contact information back then. I think there was WhatsApp, but like, I really I didn't I didn't have like a smartphone to be able to uh, use WhatsApp. So, we really connected on Skype back then. I think it was Skype, it was Facebook. Mm-hmm. I, I kept pestering them with questions, you know. Uh, so how did you apply? Like, how did you do? What standardized test did you take and everything? Uh, most of them actually had either gone through LA or had gone through other pre-university schools. Uh, so I, I actually didn't know anybody who was able to, to go to school to the US directly from Burundi on a full scholarship. Uh, what happened in my last year of high school and that year was definitely so busy uh, so I had to take the SATs which is uh, another standardized test that mm. is required in the U.S. I retook the TOEFL to get oh. uh, better results yeah. um, in order for me uh, to apply I, at, at the same time I had my admission at LA so I just knew like you know at least I have something that's lined up so uh, that's pretty good I started applying to universities in the U.S. at the same time. I applied to, I think, 13. Yeah, the, the application fees were, were definitely uh, a lot. Like, it was definitely very, very expensive. And, and, yeah. the, and I think I'm so grateful for my parents for uh, believing in me uh, or, or, or even really giving me that chance to uh, apply. Now, in retrospective, I also re- realized that I made so many mistakes uh, when I was applying. I think that's... I feel like given my kind of background, like a Francophone background was very hard to actually like be completely ready and not having someone who went through the exact same path to be able to tell me this is the, the kind of mistake that you should not make. Uh, for example, when it came to GPA, although I was ranking top of my class with like, like more than 80%, um, mm. uh, when it translated to GPA, I just did the direct oh, no. translation and, and, okay. and it gave something like a 3.2 yeah. um, out of 4. Which is basically um, a B or C students. I'm not B, B plus. No B yeah, minus. B, C B, plus. B minus. Right. Yeah, and that's not oh. very impressive. Uh, so that definitely hurt me. I asked my high school professors, who, who I'm so grateful for, to ask to send my recommendations. I, I just told them, you know, just write it in English, in the English that you can write in. You know, in retrospective, I, sh- I should have asked. I should have tried to translate the questions mm. in, in in French, and then. Yeah. Uh, get someone else to do the translation. There was also the issue of um, not seeing the recommendation. I think it's supposed you're supposed not to see it, you know. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you know, I I was like, "Uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, send it, you know. Okay. Um, and and I think back then I I didn't know the the importance of recommendations. You know, I did apply uh, to those uh, thirteen universities. At some point, I hear back. A few of them, most of them were not giving me an admission, but I received uh, an admission from two universities. One of them was not giving me any money, and, and that, but another one was giving me a full scholarship. Whoa. Uh, the university that gave me a full scholarship was Mohaus College, uh, where I ended up going to do my undergrad. So Mohaus College is a, is a historically Black college and university, mm-hmm. HBCU. Uh, that's where Martin Luther King went for undergrad. Uh, it has a, a big history around um, Black education, uh, civil rights movement, and really 
and, and it really has an important place in the black community mm-hmm. but for a student coming from Burundi like you don't really care yeah. about that you don't really <laughs> understand that at the same time I had the option of going to African Leadership Academy which was actually selling a dream that was closer to, to home you know yeah. like you receive that education you, you network with the brightest minds of, of, of the continent and then you come back and you develop to the continent you know and back then I was like hmm you know what yeah I think I'm gonna go to LA uh, and uh, you know get a scholarship to go to Stanford mm-hmm. uh, when I finished or, or to go to, to Harvard and then come back and do the thing on the African continent for me that's what made sense two years it's fine and then like after talking to a lot of people uh, they were like you know what yeah you, you should give Mohaz College a chance and I think the interesting thing that also helped was that there were a few students who went to uh, African Leadership Academy that uh, went to Mohaz College. Okay. So uh, I tapped into like my network, like the network that I had of the students that, that I knew who went through ALA, the Brindle students went through ALA, and they connected me with those students. Okay. And I was able to hear more about the school. I talked to also other students who were uh, at Mohaz College. And I was like, hmm, actually, this is not actually too bad and also get, getting a scholarship for like a 50k a year education I think that's really like that, that's an amazing privilege it's the kind of it's the kind of opportunity that only happens once in a lifetime almost and I was like okay you know what like yeah I'm gonna go to Mahos College I go there for me I was really flying for the first time uh I had never been in a plane it was very exciting uh land in Atlanta like super uh, hot and humid there was a delegation of international students who came to pick us up among them was also like one other Burundian who who, who was there and that's how my Mohaz college journey started um so there I was double majoring in computer science and math so in the U.S. there is a possibility to do uh two majors or even minors so back then I was really I think that the choice of a degree is definitely hard and I think that for me, because in high school, I was mostly comfortable with many subjects, but I knew that I really loved computer science. But I also knew that uh, it was not something that I wanted to do for school because it was something that I wanted to do because I wanted, yeah, it, it, it was that, that thing that, that I do for fun, you know, as, yeah. a, as a passion, not because, you know, that there was an assignment coming up and yeah. I had to submit this and that, you know, and I was like, okay then maybe I should just major in math. And I think that it was not that, that I was particularly good at math, but it was hard to contest an answer, like if it was correct. Like there is some uh, determinism to it that just like, that just makes you feel secure and confident, you know, in what you're doing. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do math. But at the same time, I, I felt like maybe like I wouldn't be passionate en- enough just doing math. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to drop in computer science as well, because there is nothing else that I enjoy more than, than doing that. And, and probably I'm not going to feel that I'm doing it as an assignment. Fast forward, is that true or not? I think that, I think in a way it was true. It did not feel particularly painful to do it as, a, as an assignment. I think that computer science is also like very large. I figured that there are some things that I enjoy more than others, but I think that's something that was good was to just like pursue it full-time, not just as a side hobby, but actually doing it full-time. When I was at Mohaz College uh, in my first year, I got an offer to intern at Google as a software engineer. And I think that uh, in retrospective, I think 
was it, it was an amazing coincidence. I think one year before that, uh, I was watching uh, the, the movie uh, The Internship. I don't know if if, if you know the movie. Uh, <laughs> it's a movie about two guys that get an internship at Google, and but basically the movie sold this amazing experience of the internship yeah. at Google, and I was just like so excited about it, and I was like, I really have to apply to Google. Uh, you know, fortunately, like I was able to get uh, that offer which is actually pretty rare especially in your first year and I think to that I have to add that uh, so we had a a program on my on, on my campus where they had uh, Google engineers come teach intro- oh, okay. introductory classes okay. uh, to computer science and it was through that that I was able to get an interview uh, yeah and, and 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 they basically selected a few a few students from my class to be able to go uh, intern there mm-hmm. uh, so was the internship in Atlanta or in San Francisco? Uh, the, the internship was uh, in uh, California, in Mountain View. Mountain View, okay. uh, Yeah, although there, there were options to intern at all, all these, like all, all the offices of the of, oh, okay. of Google, that offices in San Francisco, for sure, oh. New York, all over the place, honestly. Honestly, like, I really felt I was living a dream because, you know, you're getting a full scholarship, you know, you're interning at Google. Yeah. I was like, wow, like this is like the dream, you know? After that, uh, so after the first year, I moved to uh, Mountain View to start my internship. I was on a team called, well, the, the, the larger team was called Street View. To be honest, I actually don't even remember like the, the specific team how was called, which is actually crazy. But it's been a while. It's been like, it was in 2015. So it's been uh, six years. Yeah. yeah. Years. But the larger team was Street View. And Google mm-hmm. Street View is basically that tool that people can use in order to visualize uh, streets, uh, buildings. And the way they do that, they have cars that basically run in the streets with cameras that basically collect all that the data. Mm-hmm. And the specific project that I was working on that summer uh, was to create uh, barcodes for those for disks that would go into those cars that will be saving those images and videos. basically create a system where you could be able to track those disks to know uh, where is disk, uh, is this in this particular car, is this in this particular site for extraction. So every time a, a driver get, gets a disk, they basically scan the barcode uh, and then they put it in the, in the machine that, that that's, is, is going to be used to basically store uh, the videos. And then, and then those disks are taken to an extraction site where they're scanned again. So basically, the, the platform will basically say, okay, th- this specific disk is here at this time. It was uh, ingested. Like That's how they would call it, basically, when, when the data ha- had been extracted uh, from, from the disk. Or if, um, and, and if it was cleared and then if, if it was ready to go back into another car. So it's basically building a platform uh, for that. Yeah, and, and I also worked on, that, on another side project that was basically improving some of the code for the extraction of, of the videos. It was very much an, an infrastructure project, kind of like making it a little bit faster. I think as an engineer, that experience really helped me grow as an engineer because I had never gotten a formal code review. Basically, someone looking at your code and saying, okay, this is not how, how you do this. Like, you're supposed to like, basically, like, Google is also known to be that place that has the best code standard. And I felt like going there really helped me up my coding skills, but also like my coding standards. 
um, how to write better code that's readable for the others and also like uh, that's also very efficient as well. After that internship, I go back to Mohawk College. And uh, so typically after you intern somewhere, they will tell you uh, we're giving you a return offer, typically if your uh-huh. performance was good or not. And unfortunately, I was not getting an offer to go back to Google. And I feel like, like, like that was very disappointing. And I feel like I had really been on a cloud, like, you know, like writing, like, you know, success over success and everything. Like, I remember, like, there was also, like, these uh, stories, oh, like, there was this Brundian who's, who's working at Google. Really, I wasn't really working at Google. I was just interning there, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, but, like, you know, it was all hacked up and everything. To be honest, like, internships there are very competitive and, um, like, you really have to be, like, the best of the best. And you're really competing with kids who, who, who started coding when they're, like, 12 years old. At that point, like, that news was very uh, disappointing. But then I was like, you know, like, I, I'm going to uh, start applying for other opportunities. So back then, I uh, applied to a few places, applied to Facebook, applied to Airbnb, while it was, like, very, very, like, new, like, mm-hmm. shiny startup and everything. Uh, applied to Goldman Sachs. Uh, so, and, and, and I was fortunate to get an offer at Goldman Sachs to be a, an engineer on their infrastructure team. Uh, and Let me just stop you there. For those who don't know what Goldman Sachs is, like I'm not going to getting into it because I'm a financial person. Yeah. So it's like the first bank of the world. Yeah. Goldman Sachs definitely does. Uh, I think it's probably one of the, of the most popular financial institutions, financial yeah. services banks. And I think that a lot of people really do dream to go work there. I mean, um, I worked, I studied in a business school, like either you go to Google or you go to like Goldman Sachs and stuff and yeah. as well. So Goldman Sachs for sure. That's... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Back then I was very much interested in uh, trading and like uh, yeah. basically like, you know, how that stuff works. And I was really hoping that I, w- I will be able to get on, on a team that actually builds those um trading algorithms mm. uh unfortunately i was not able to so, so back then when i was interviewing i was I, I was interviewing in two teams uh there was uh a strats team i think i, th- I think it's it's a uh, short for strategist mm-hmm. um and there was also and and and, and it was the infrastructure team so i was interviewing for both but got an offer f- from the infrastructure team okay um so i went there uh the, the internship was in Salt Lake city in utah uh in the midwest to the mormons who live there Exactly, like yeah. the, the, the capital, the, the, yeah, the capital city of the Mormons, you know, worldwide. The office was basically the second biggest office in the U.S., the biggest one being the, the one in, the, in New York. Probably the third one is the one in Jersey City. Um, oh, okay. I moved to Salt Lake City, work at Goldman Sachs, and in a way, like, from interning at Google, it was really, like, it really made it, like, really, really, the, the internship was very much comfortable. Yes, it's true. I, I, I was challenged, but it was like the right level of challenge. But also like the kind of like background that I had gotten really made me fast track into my project and everything and, okay. I, and, and were able to do so, so much. I'm still like so proud of that. I think that it's, <laughs> Good. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's really amazing. I'm, I'm trying to find about something that's really interesting about Salt City, but at least what, what I know, like Mohawk College is in Atlanta and mm-hmm. Atlanta is, is this like lively city. You know, like very busy, uh, not as busy as New York, obviously, but then like, you know, it's still busy compared to, to Salt Lake City. Mm. Uh, Salt Lake City is like still like one of the, the, the biggest cities in the Midwest, but still 
Uh, it's very chill. Everything closes on Sunday, you know, like Mormon style. But I, I really had a good time uh, there. Uh, you know, I met like really the nice friends that I'm still friends even now. And then I, at the end of that internship, at least like so, something that I knew, I had got, gotten, you know, like an interesting view into like what it looked like working in tech in a financial mm-hmm. institution. And in my previous experience at Google, I knew what, what, what it was like working in tech in a, in a tech institution. Yeah. And what I knew is that I really wanted to work in a tech institution because the, the, their tech people are valued. It's true at Goldman Sachs still, like tech people are, are, were really valued there, like, but the different than tech institution. Yeah. It means that in a tech institution, it means like whatever you want, like you want new headphones, you get them. You want a new uh, screen. Yeah, yeah, like you get it, you know, like they, they really try everything to really like help you code, you know, mm. like better. I think Google probably goes like they go way too far in, in order to make you stay in the office for like <laughs> free food, you know, free lunch, uh, free dinner, all these things. Let me just ask you, because we, you said like at some point it's really competitive and I think competition is part of life, but we don't know because I've been to an um, American school, business school, and I never knew what competition was until I went there. You realize that Americans have a way of like doing life. You're coming from Burundi. You're going into uh, like Google, man. Like, need I say more? You realize like people can kill you. I'm quoting this, huh? to have like this place. You as a Burundian, how do you cope your like your background, your studies and be like, do I do this? Do I have to stay this? As a Burundian, how did you cope with your work there? Uh, one thing about me, I think that, so growing up, at least like in my time in Burundi, I was a very competitive person, especially mm-hmm. academically. I really wanted to always rank like top of the class. Yeah, and, 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 and that's, but like one thing that, at, at least that I have, realized back in high school was that at some point maybe I had focused too much on academics and I really like needed to focus on other things other than academics and it's something that I tried to change a little bit more uh, when I went to college Uh, I was like I'm definitely going to do the academics but I don't really I don't necessarily need to rank top of my class for example and be valedictorian if it happens great I I will also try to grow outside of um, of school outside of class but also like there is yeah, it's 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 very very competitive as well. Uh, like in the U.S., uh, I mean, like from getting an admission, you know, from getting a scholarship, mm. uh, from getting an internship offer, like even at a, at an institution that's not like Google, Goldman Sachs, it's still very competitive. And I feel like something that helped me cope with that was the friends that I had at most college were Burundians and Rwandans, also a bunch of achievers, overachievers, but also like at the same time like they did it in a way that did not feel painful, you know? You know, they would work hard, but at the same time, they also knew how to enjoy life. Mm. You know? yeah. uh, and, like, I knew that, like, you know, th- there was a time to really, you know, like, be focused. There was also a time to also relax and okay. just enjoy life. Mm. Um, another thing that was that, like, when you are really at that competitive level, like, there is a lot of disappointment. Like, there is a lot of failure as well that, that people do not necessarily talk about uh for example like it took me applying to 13 universities in order to get one one admission with a full scholarship i interned at google but then like you know no return offer because yeah. like it's really that competitive and like i think that yeah it does take you know a big toll on your on your on your, on your mental when like you're like ah like you know i, I tried everything that i could 
uh, but still like it was not possible. Being around, you know, those people at Moss College, um, they work hard, but also like, you know, like they also take life like really easy. That's something that I really learned from and kind of like tried to emulate. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty helpful. At the end of that internship, I just knew that I really wanted to work in tech, at least like at the fundamentally tech institution. Then I was like, you know what, like from what I have seen, interviews are really, really hard. They're really, really competitive. So I started studying for, for tech interviews. I started studying in, in August. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it was in 2016. But like every day I just uh, assigned, like I would study three hours every day, like from nine to 12, just like practicing for technical interviews. Mm -hmm. And I did that in, in August, September uh, until mid-October. Then uh, I had uh, an interview with Google at the end of September, uh, but I like eventually like I heard back, but I, I did not get the offer. But back then, after October, I interviewed with, with Microsoft, got an offer. I interviewed with LinkedIn, got an offer. With PwC, got an offer, and also had a return offer from Goldman Sachs. I interviewed with Coursera, got an offer. You know, like at that point, I was really like, like it was, it was a whole better situation than I was a year, a year before that. Like I had all these offers and, and I just had like to make a choice. Like it was a very privileged uh, situation to be in. I asked all my mentors, like, which company uh, should I pick? Basically, everybody told me, go to Microsoft. Go to Microsoft. Um, like, you know, like you'll learn more there. Um, you'll be able to, they basically like, it will be the best opportunity for you. Uh, but, but at the same time, I was really passionate about online education because like, it's really how I got into computer science. It's, it's really how I got, I got into programming. I, I had also met the team at Coursera at a, at a career fair and like we had really like vibed and everything. I was like, you know what? I'm going to give a chance to Coursera because like it's an experience that I haven't had. Uh, I've worked at a big tech institution, big financial institution, but I haven't really worked at, at a startup doing something that I'm also very much interested in. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to go with Coursera. I turned down uh, the other offers. The next summer, I go to Mountain View again to intern at Coursera. Like amazing experience. You know, it's like, it's not like a young startup, but, but it's still a startup. Got a lot of responsibility, especially as an intern. That's really what you can expect working at, at a startup. Uh, there, I was working on data migration. They were basically migrating user data from MySQL, which is a, a database, to another database called Cassandra. Uh, and I, I was really, like that, that summer, I was the only engineer writing code on that project. Yeah, I felt like I was like learning so much. And then at the end of that internship, got uh, an offer to come back full-time this time. But I also applied to other opportunities as well got an offer from Microsoft, I applied again to Google. This time, you know, I gave it my all, you know, like, and, and full-time interviews are very much, uh, are very hard. Mm -hmm. um, so I went to an on-site, I had five interviews, technical interviews. I felt like I did like really great. Honestly, it was the, mm -hmm. probably my best performance ever. <laughs> at the end of the day, like I, I hear back, they're like, well, no offer. And like, yeah. okay, cool. You know, at least, you know, I gave it my all. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I had an offer from Microsoft full-time, Coursera full-time as well. So I was like, you know what? The one thing that also weigh hard on, on, on my 
decision was also being an international student in the US. If you want to continue working there, you really have to be with a company that can sponsor you, that can support you, even if like you don't get the work immigration system in the US is like very complicated in a way. Like and and there is also a part of luck in it. And sometimes you're not lucky. Uh, for example, if, if you needed to be re- relocated to another country, a, a big company like Microsoft will be able to do that. And I was like, you know what? For safety, I'm going to go with Microsoft. Uh, so I finished my time at Mohawk College. That was like the last year. But it also like it was also like that time was it was um, a time when uh, Bitcoin was like really really big. At my summer at Coursera, uh, I had I had downloaded this investment application app uh, called Robinhood uh, that, that basically allows you to invest in stocks on the U.S. stock market. Also, Bitcoin was like really really big back then. Like a bunch of my friends were like, "Oh, like okay, we're gonna invest in this. Like this is like really really cool." I think that back then, like I was just so passionate about the, the, the idea of Bitcoin, the idea of, you know, doing away with, with, you know, these financial institutions. I feel like in a way it was not necessarily a pain that, that I was experiment, experiencing, but it was a pain that in a way that, that I could see and how painful it was for people to send money. For example, like when I needed to send money back home, it was very hard. But then I was like, if people just use Bitcoin, I could just send it, you know, like yeah, in a okay. second, you know? And also like how it was also hard like to uh, access money. For example, uh, when the bank closes, you know, you cannot necessarily go get your money. For example, if you, if you need a bigger sum, for example, but it's still your money. Like nobody can tell you what to do with yeah. your money. You know, there is an element of, of freedom that Bitcoin was offering. And uh, a bunch of my friends and I were, were, were like, mm, you know what, like we should really create our own cryptocurrency for Africa, you know? Uh, and like, we really ponder on that idea but nothing really comes out of it uh but then i uh, were like, hmm, but like we should still work on something we thought about a remittance system especially knowing that mastercard and western union get like the big part of the of the cake and especially in africa like taking like really big percentages it, it was really all those things that were kind of like upset upsetting us and like okay we need to like do something about it and at the same time we're like okay like my friend, uh, Olivier, who I went to college with, was like, okay, uh, there is this system that uh, is used in Rwanda called the Kibina, where people put money together. Uh, each person will put together 50000 and put it in the common common account, whatever. Uh, and then at the, at the end of the month, one person takes it. And then the next month, another person takes it. So like if, if you attend, it means that at the end of the month, you're getting an extra 500000 in order to work for your project. That was like something that, that was done very manually. So like, how about we automate that? We start working on that. At, at the same time, we, we, we graduate from uh, Mohos College. That summer, we start working on it. Uh, we rent, you know, a hacker house in Atlanta and we start working on it with my other friend, Joswal from Congo. We work on a, on a prototype, but, but at the same time, we, we all have offers to go work in corporate America. And we're like, if this thing works and gets off the the, the ground, we're gonna go for this and, and not go work for corporate America. Uh, but it, it did not get off the ground fast enough. So at some point we had to, to, to like relocate to where we're supposed to go working. At the same time, I was also thinking about grad school and I knew there was this opportunity to, for like to, to apply for, for the Rhodes scholarship at the University of Oxford. 
I think I had always been very much excited about that scholarship, uh, although Burundi back then was not uh, eligible, but that year it had, it, it had just become eligible. I was like, hmm, what happened for, for, for Burundi to be to be eligible? Because I really didn't understand what happened between, was it because of the Commonwealth or something? I think that what happened was, um, I think the scholarship, the funds come from uh, Rhodes Wheel, but then like mm -hmm. over the years, there has been other uh, in, investors into, into, into that fund. Oftentimes they have um, a few countries in mind that, that they would like to add. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's why it has oh. really been expanding. I think back in the days it was only offered to the US and uh, South Africa and maybe Germany. Now it has really expanded very much. So yeah. basically investors that were like, we, we, we need this scholarship for East Africans. Oh, okay. um, and that's what happened. That's an interesting opportunity, uh, but I don't necessarily consider it right away. Uh, at the same time, so when you when when you are when you want to work in the U.S. Uh, after studying there, you have, you have to apply for OPT. My OPT got denied uh, because of some administrative mistakes that happened. But at the same time, I had I had also applied for the, the Rose Scholarship in Oxford. I really w wasn't really expecting to like get anything out of it. But I was like, you know what? Like that's that's an interesting opportunity. Yeah. And Burundi is eligible. M my work authorization gets denied, and and then I try to uh, plead for my case. And then my, my school gets involved. They send letters to the, the US CIS, basically like that organization that deals with this type of yes. stuff. Again, we have like under Trump administration, like people are very like much. Um, yeah, if we say no, it's no. That, that wasn't really moving forward. But at the same time, I get invited for uh, an interview with the Rose uh, Scholarship. At that point, I had, I had given up a little bit on, on the opportunity of being able to, to work in the U.S. because yeah. I just couldn't see like how, how it would work. But then I was like, you know what? I'm going to continue in grad school. I'll be able to work eventually like after grad school. I had gotten invited to go interview for the Rose Scholarship. Uh, flight to uh, Rwanda where the interviews were happening uh, for me I was just there I, I was just happy you know like I, I was able to fly back home and you know did the experience I was just like you know like I, I'm just here to just like network and you know like enjoy I, I wasn't really expecting to, to to win the scholarship you know like it, like it, it would have been nice but then like I was like hmm like <laughs> it, it's not necessarily gonna be me the interview uh, takes place and everything I, I actually I was the, the day after the, the interview, I was supposed to take a bus from Kigali to Kampala to go mm -hmm. take my GREs yeah. because I was, I, was, I was preparing to apply to grad school. So in the morning, uh, I wake up, I'm getting ready to go to Kampala. I get a phone call and they're like, oh, Frank, we have a great news for you. You have received the, the Rose Scholarship. And I just couldn't believe it. You know, I was just <laughs> so excited. And, and all of a sudden, you know, like, uh, I'm like, hmm, like all these things that were like, you know, like, like all these opportunities that were not working, it's now like giving weight to this opportunity. You know, mm -hmm. I, I, I was no longer going to Kampala, you know, That's and I was like, you know, what? I'm <laughs> going to just extend my stay in Kigali for one more week. And then I went uh, home after that. At the same time, my other friend was still, uh, my friend Olivier was still working on Jamie. Jamie is basically like the community saving application that we were working on. Now that I'm not going to work to corporate America, I'm going to work on this uh, full time. And then what happens is that uh, I go home, but also um, at the same time, you know, you, you get a scholarship to go to Oxford, but you also have to prepare for 
you, you basically have to apply for admission. I, I wanted to go for a postgraduate de- degree, uh, so basically a PhD in, in artificial intelligence, because I, I think that during that time, like, I saw it as, as an opportunity uh, for me to be able to, to make an impact, especially for matters in Africa that could actually be leapfrogged, especially when it comes to edu- education or agriculture without necessarily needing extra, I guess, like experts. I started applying for this type of, of, of opportunities, but at the same time, it means that you also have to like to know a lot to be able to, to write a research proposal in that sense. So I, I did spend a lot of time uh, reading about artificial intelligence. In undergrad, I had taken maybe one class, but then like it was not like the kind of caliber that you know was needed in order to be able to apply f- for a PhD you know, at, at Oxford. At some point, I obtained an, an admission to a PhD program uh, in, in, in AI applied to health. At some point, like I had both. I had like my work visa, my H1B, and also had an admission at Oxford. I was like, ah, like, what do I do? I ended up going with Oxford because the, the opportunity was just, you know, like once in a lifetime again. We're still working on Jami. This time we just did decide to pivot because we thought that the kind of people that we, we wanted to serve did not necessarily have infrastructure that we needed like it was we, we wanted to serve people who had easy access to, to smartphones because we wanted to create an application uh, we're going to help people invest in the stock market a lot of africans do not have access to the stock market and if there is one thing that my friend and i have learned i think is there is so much power in being able to invest in the stock market and also see the money compound over time and like that's what really makes a difference between people who become rich over time and their money is compounding and, and people who just like put their money in, in their savings. And, and then with, with, with inflation, uh, whether you are in the US, whether you are in Africa, your money is going to lose value. And then at the end of the day, you are really left with nothing. We became finalists uh, in Y Combinator, basically this uh, startup incubator, one, one of the most famous uh, startup incubator. Yeah. And we were able to interview in front of them and basically pitch why uh, this idea made sense uh, mm-hmm. for Africans. We're not able to get uh, the funding. One of the questions that they asked us that uh, I think kind of like helped us pivot in the right direction. So for example, like if you, if, if you look at, at the case of the US, uh, even though there has been applications that help people invest, like such as Robinhood, and others, people did not run to those in order to invest money. So people are still very skeptical about that and, and they do not understand why uh, that's important. And there are also like other people working on such ideas in, uh, in West Africa and we haven't seen a differentiator. People actually aren't running to those applications. It really makes sense because I think being able to think in a way that's compounded or, or exponential it's something that's very hard for for humans like mm-hmm. we're really used to thinking in, in, a, in, a, in a linear fashion we're going to start with uh, financial education we're going to uh, create a community uh, for, for, uh, and and teach them uh, financial literacy and then uh, teach them uh, budgeting uh, teach them saving uh, and then teach them investing and I think that it's very hard to invest when you are not able to budget correctly your money, and when you you are not able to save enough to be able to invest and also have an emergency fund. Uh, so that's what we have been doing so far. So so we basically uh, have uh, 
a newsletter that comes uh, uh, twice a month uh, about uh, financial literacy uh, issues. Why Africans, why target Africans knowing they don't usually have money? Because the, the fact that you say, okay, you have to save, you have to budget, those are the things you do when actually have like a, an income, a substantial income, I just say that. Why do you focus on these Africans? What opportunity do you see there on the continent? Uh, first of all, it's home, right? And I think that's at the core is, is, is very f- fulfilling to be able to, to make an impact home and be able to give those type of opportunities to where you come from. There has been a lot of financial innovation that has happened on the, on the African continent that people do not necessarily talk about. I think that investing in Africa is very hard, especially for, for, people, for people who do not have a lot of money. I remember, uh, as I told you last time, I, I am someone who really loves uh, following the stock markets um, since I was really young. Mm. And I remember being in France with a couple of friends, and I think it was all nine or t- uh, ten, that I said, like, let's buy something that you understand. Let's buy stocks and companies that you understand, because at the end of the day, mm. <laughs> it will make sense for you. Mm. And I remember saying to my friends, saying, let's just buy Adidas and Nike. Mm. And at that time, I'm not even joking, I think it was like $19. Mm. But the problem, I think, is that it was so complex for us. We understood that it was, by the way, Nike is like 130 now, I'm just saying. It was just so complex for us. We were like, where do we buy them? Like, Mm. where do you start? Do you call your Mm. conseiller? Do you call your bank to ask them? Mm. And then um, I think it was a year ago or something like that, just before the covid Mm. Like you, I downloaded Revolut. So mm. Revolut is the opposite of, is the French, no, is the British version, sorry, of Robin Hood without the craziness, obviously, that follows. <laughs> so that helps. Yeah. And, and you realize like people, you have two sides. You have one who will say, I don't understand, but I feel like it's great because I, I see money evolving and I can buy a percentage of Nike, of Facebook or something or Tesla because it's Elon Musk. You don't know what Elon Musk stands for. You don't. In Africa, it's tougher, not because they don't understand, but because not only the, the amount of disposable income will be less. Mm. But at the same time, you're asking them to be like, just trust in the future, although you don't, you know what I mean? Like mm. in America and Europe, you kind of have the security of like, okay, I know how these guys work. And I'm advising people to buy because I'm yeah. financial. If I were in Africa, I'll be like, Heineken. Heineken is like providing everything (laughs) and I'm like guys I think it's like 70 euros or something like that at this Mm. point how do you juggle these things okay I understand the corporate America I understand how it works here but at the same time I'm trying to translate this to these West Africans who are so different from the East Africans who are Mm. so different from you know Mm. East West and obviously the currency disparities, man. Like, yeah. <laughs> I just saw that. And yeah. I just gave you all the geographical, social, economical problems of the world. So, <laughs> no, no, no. And, and I totally agree. If you're going to invest actively in the stock market, you really have to do your research. You have to know uh, which company you're applying, do I investing in, and know and, and kind of ha- have a really good idea of the long term outlook. That's not something that's very easy to do uh, for for Africans, which is why, like, what we wanted to do was to use a robot advisor. Uh, the idea was to basically get a send a questionnaire for the user to assess their risk appetite and and also like the kind of industries that they're interested in in investing, and then uh, optimize a portfolio that fits uh, their needs. 
in a way like they will not need to do all that research. They will just decide to put a little bit of money as investment based on the uh, risk profile. Our, our currencies are, are, are not very strong if you compare to the dollar. So in a way that like you, you, you are investing is true, but then the kind of um, profit that, that you will see in the long term are not going to be the same. The one thing that we really want to make sure is that people are still able to invest, even though like it's not much in the long term, it does compound. Um, and uh, being able to budget correctly and being able to save uh, that little bit of income, four years from now is going to make a huge difference. Yeah. You really want to be able to have money that's yeah. Uh, on, stable. On, yeah, like, and that actually means something globally. Uh, so it means that like, yes, like you're working here and you want to be able to fly to this other place and be able to, to still live comfortably. Yeah, I'm not sure how we're going to get there, but you know, yeah. <laughs> do, do we have like, uh, let's just say the other friend, Burundian friends, do you have to um, change it in uh, euros or dollars in order to invest on your platform? Right now, the team is based in Kigali. Uh, okay. So we're now working with uh, Renan Franks. You invest using uh, Renan Franks. That conversion just happens automatically. Okay. When it comes to uh, the West African side, because they have like one currency that was supposed to be Seifar, but now it's called Eco. It will be called Eco soon. Do you, how do you deal with the country, like countries that have their own euro? Right now, we are, we are mostly focusing on Rwanda. Uh, so we haven't okay. actually gotten to uh, that point of, be, of, of being able to provide the service to other countries. Okay. Um, but I think that one way of dealing with those things will be to kind of like build a platform that is adapted for, for their currency or just like standardize it to the dollar, which is not yeah. honestly like very exciting. I think the, the, the dollar gets way too much. And that's you the know, power of... Um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's way too much, honestly, yeah. <laughs> you can do so in euro then. You, you talked about the, um, the compound interest and it is something that we learn when, you know, it's like the beaba when you start a business school and it is something that Warren Buffett... Warren Buffett's like the king of investing and he said something about the compound interest. I will go back again to our in, uh, currencies. I remember a time, I'm not even joking, I was still in primary school where I could buy like uh, a candy for 10 friends. I think at this moment, it's, I even remember like going way, way back, like two friends, I think, like five, five friends at some point when we mm. had coins. Mm. I don't know if you remember that, but mm. it was a long time ago. And then you see the company interest, it could work. Mm. But imagine I put a hundred thousand, which basically just put a hundred dollars and then a hundred dollars in five years because the company interest, the beauty of that. And it becomes, I just say 500, but 500 in five years will be almost like a hundred. I know you're not responsible for the currency problems in the countries mm. and region. How do you instill trust in the people? Personally, I would like to start investing in dollars using your, your, your platform, using like foreign uh, currencies, because I still don't trust my own currency. Mm. Uh, like, do you want more people to bring their own currencies or do you want them to shift on the safer ones, you know? Absolutely. Uh, so, so what happens is that so when you invest, you are investing with your local currency, but then what happens is that we convert that local currency to dollars. For practical reasons, 
what you see is, is, is the local currency, but then what we hold is actual is the actual dollar. The US dollar is as well. I think and, and, and I think lately even more so, like especially with the with the pandemic, I think that like the, 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 there is so much money that was pumped into the, the economy. You cannot always fully trust, you know, a currency that's controlled by a central government. She's so, a Bitcoin person. <laughs> basically, yeah. Like I think that if you really want to conserve the value of your money, and also like, and 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 this means a lot. It also means the value of your work, of your of your of your long years of of work. You really have to find other ways to invest in in other alternatives that basically mm-hmm. ensure that your money that does not lose value as much. I think that it could be one of the ways, but I think that it's definitely important to think about ways to uh, conserve the value of, mm. of your money, of your work. Yeah, That's for sure. I mean, for me, if I, if I am to say something about Bitcoin, is that obviously someone has to be like, uh, wow, by the, 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 like just the price of the Bitcoin. Mm. But at the same time, mm. I'm not excited about it. I will mm. be excited by the block t- blockchain system, Mm. But I need like a central something, government bank or whatever, mm. that will regulate the thing because unregulated stuff brings brings Robin Hood and Robin Hood for me, it's like, at this point, I feel like uh, they need to be sued, man. And they're being sued. <laughs> so, because mm. you do your thing, you like mm. Bitcoin is under fire. I don't know. The, the owner who's supposed to be Japanese is now actually under a fake name and he's British and he's suing and you realize like oh whoa 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 guys <laughs> just mm. let's just go back to basics and handle things re- with regulation not every mm. not a lot of them not like mm. uh, but it's just me anyway so I would like to talk about obviously the the AI and AI opportunities in Africa because it's easy to say like oh we're having 5G we're having these things um mobile money blah 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 we have to think about the future I know Google, mm-hmm. Microsoft have their headquarters in uh, Nairobi when it comes to East Africa. And I'm pretty sure they're like in Ghana. And Twitter just landed a place in uh, Accra, Ghana. What do you see as opportunities for developers or for coding people, like for the nerdy nerd kids who are, have a computer and they're thinking about something? As you mentioned, it, uh, a, a lot of big companies are, start, are starting to be interested in Africa and, and, and are building some um, offices on the African continent, there is uh, so much opportunities um, in, in AI because first of all, like we have, we have a growing population that's becoming increasingly connected to, to the internet, um, have access to smartphones. So that's a lot of the data that's being created. So, and one example that I can give that I'm working on right now, like actually for my research. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, like if you look at Burundi right now, uh, we only have uh, four radiologists in the whole country for about 12 millions of, of uh, people. Like that's very low. One thing that, that actually like, like caught my attention was that uh, when I wanted to apply for uh, my British uh, visa, I had to do a TB test, a tuberculosis test. Like, okay. So they basically have to screen the lungs the only facility that uh, accepted near where I was, like Mujumbura, was Kigali. So I had, I had to travel to Kigali in order to get the screening done. The radiologists that actually read the screening were, were, were actually in Kenya. They realized that there is like, there are not a lot of experts in, in that field. It takes many years in order to train a radiologist. 
And we do not need to have to spend seven years until we can be able to have access to quality like radiology assessments. So what, one of the things that AI does nowadays is, is to be able to provide a chest pathology assessment that are on par with radiologists. Not that they're going to replace radiologists, but then like and the radiologists can be able to use that tool in order to be able to uh, rapidly kind of like get an idea of like what is there and just kind of kind of use it to confirm like this mm. is like what the kind of pathologies that are in this uh, x-ray, for example. And that means that like that tool can be used by radiologists, but it can also be used by other uh, regular doctors who do not necessarily have the kind of extensive training that radiologists have, but then can be able to be empowered by that tool and be able to provide services. One of the ways to do that is to actually empower developers and data scientists uh, locally to actually like think about solving uh, this type of local problems. When, when you know that you want to solve a specific problem, you can also start collecting data when it comes to that. There was a team that built a tool on a, on a smartphone that, that you can use to scan the leaves of a uh, cassava and then be able to, to know uh, what disease it's suffering from. And then you can wow. basically be able to get uh, whatever uh, treatment you, you, you need for that. There has been a lot of work that has been done like uh, around like being able to uh, diagnose mal- malaria using AI by scanning a blood sample. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, there's yeah. so many opportunities, especially when it comes to health, fintech, agriculture, so agritech, that really speaks to us as Africans because it's the basics of what we need. But at the same time, mm-hmm. I know that not only in Africa, but I know here as well, um, people, when you see artificial intelligence, machine learning, they're like, oh my goodness, oh no. Mm-hmm. So like uh, the end, you know, kind of the end of the world. How can you reassure people who are saying like, thinking that way maybe? Because most of the thing comes from ignorance, which is fine. Because if you, yeah. don't, you don't know, you, you get scared. But when you get to see the, how it's applied in different things, mm. it's just amazing. Like I'm thinking about the paralegals where you have to read thousands and thousands of papers and you have like, I don't know, an app or mm. a website that really helps you out, helps you mm. out and get rid of you, but helps mm. you out. Mm. Obviously, Jeremy Finance is just, I think the beginning of something that you guys are doing in in Rwanda, in you know, in Africa, in East Africa first, but the potential potential is huge. Do you see other Africans? I'm not going to say Burundians because it's like I'm obsessed. But other Africans who are working in different fields where you can say like, oh, we should look, take a look at what they're doing. For example, like even if you look uh, in in Burundi, there are teams that are working on on having an online banks. The regular banks have not been able to kind of like, you know, provide the kind of like online experience that we would have liked. For example, like, I don't know if you have heard of, of, of Ihela. No. Basically like this um, uh, financial services organization that basically, uh, so it's basically an online bank. Uh, I mean, they, they do have an office, but then like, for example, like I was able to create uh, an account just from my computer, uh, which is really amazing. Okay. I mean, like, for example, like when, when, you, when you create an, an account with, with Revolut, Revolut, I don't even think that they have an office. I also use another bank called Monzo, but like they, they both yeah. do not have any office. I, I think that's where things are going. Like we'll be able to send money seamlessly. And that, that's what Ihela does. It's like they also provide some APIs as well for people to build things on top of that. There is a team called Mohekash, which basically allows you to send money directly back on using mobile money 
Kenya is so big on, I mean, yeah, on, 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 on fintech, like so yeah. many things build on top of that uh, in Nigeria as well. One uh, area that makes me super enthusiastic is education. Now that you spoke about uh, Nigeria, obviously we can go without saying that uh, Stripe bought Paystack and then there's um, Flutterwave. I mean, Nigeria is mm. doing well. This is amazing. <laughs> doing well mm. so but there is something i wanted to ask you because i saw this it's google developers in burundi i don't mm. know if you know about them i was like yeah yeah okay can, can you tell us about what they're doing like so google has uh this thing uh called uh, google developer communities so they, they basically empower communities and basically provide them with the with the tools and help them organize events uh, around building technology about uh, around learning about the technology. There is a, a Google developer group uh, in, in Bujumbura. Uh, there is uh, a team of very excited, passionate people who are uh, building that. My friend, Liber. The one thing that we, we really needed in the tech community in, in Burundi was to kind of like be brought together uh, and be able oh. to, to collaborate and be able to know that, like, like what are the opportunities like I didn't have any idea, but I saw them. I'm like, oh, okay, interesting. Yeah. So because we just finished on obviously the community, let's go back to the fact that everything for me, I'm going to think that International School of Burundi, of Jambora, mm-hmm. is like, no, they're not sponsoring me. Everything mm-hmm. started at school. So I feel like this, like the, the, the foundation that we have at school and the, 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 the teachers and the, like the support group, I guess, mm-hmm. really helped you uh, send you where you are basically so congrats to what you did what you do and what you will do that's definitely Morehouse, Oxford, Stanford, MIT I don't know whatever projects you have in the future uh, maybe why not do something like create a course in Burundi about like AI and machine learning or you know it could be interesting because I don't know if they are there yet I was going to say when I get this PhD, you know, like like I will be able to go and uh, teach. But like I feel like in the in the world that we're in right now, like basically degrees are not a proxy f- for knowledge. You, you do not necessarily have to have all these qualifications to be able to show that you know. That's sure. um, so yeah, I think that a course on on AI is definitely possible. Uh, mentorship uh, is definitely yeah. possible. There, there are definitely a lot of resources online when it comes to learning about AI. Not necessarily maybe in French. Something that definitely helps is definitely that kind of mentorship, that kind of exposure. Uh, because like for me, the one thing that really worked for me was to get exposed to this type of things. And when and, and when you catch on, like the passion will will drive you. And, definitely, yeah. Um, I mean, I wouldn't be me without asking you how you get your mentors. Because for me, it's about networking and mentorship. That's how you get ahead. Or at least that's how you get involved in, in an environment so how did you get your mentors other than mm. mtv telling you that the u.s dream was fine <laughs> you know? yes um i do not have like very very like formal uh mentors so, like they're, they're really informal mentors but there are people that that i know that i can always like rely on for really good advice and, and people who, who have been there people who have who, who have done that what i do is that like when i meet someone who is like who like this person is like really good at this and like I, I would like to learn about that or I would like to like do what they're doing I just like keep in touch with them yeah I have never actually asked formally for, for mentorship although I have actually gotten like some kind of like formal mentors uh, but 
for the ones that like I think that connection has really been the, the best was like this kind of like informal mentorship you know so sometimes I ask that hey like I, I, I have a question on this like what's your take on this and you're right I think that like being able to have mentorship definitely takes you so far uh yeah everybody sh- should have mentors and, and everybody should also mentor other people when you have been able to get into that that place you didn't get to win the, the Y Combinator program but you still need money with the project that you have I mean can you can you just call African banks I don't know equity bank UBS I don't know let's just call on those amazing con- um, local bands Echo Bank and just be like, hey guys, do you like we have this idea and it could work? Mm. Honestly, mm. it would work. And it's and you already understand because we're all Africans, we already understand the African markets, mm. speaking countries, French speaking countries. Are you getting a I don't know? Because it bothers me, man. <laughs> it bothers me to be like, oh, how is this going? That's true. So so I think that banks, they are not into that kind of like risky investment or like risky for now, <laughs> for now yes. Our African banks are not there yet. I feel I feel like when you ask for a loan, it's really it's for a very concrete project. You can easily see how you do, you're going to be able to pay back. Uh, but also like the interest rates are like really really high. You know, yeah. typically it takes like at least five years to get a startup off the ground. So I think Dropbox still is not making money right now. Like what we have been doing was to kind of like tap into our network, Africans who are doing well for themselves and like, like actually are comfortable investing in something that might give results uh, long-term, the results could actually be exponential. Did you call Monsieur Ali Kodonkote? I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> actually, it would be nice. I, I don't know if he does, if he ventures into uh, VC. He has a lot of disposable income. You just call him. <laughs> <laughs> I think it would be really good to see African uh, billionaires, millionaires, like become VCs and actually invest in... Hmm. in in African startups, I think the one thing that that's hard is, is accountability, being able to know, like, is this startup actually working towards the goals that they, they said they were? Are they actually managing the money correctly? Right now, like, at least what I'm saying is that there is a lot of money that's being uh, pumped into African startups. Yeah. We've applied for a few uh, fellowships or funds, and, 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 and Friends, yeah. we've gotten actually quite uh, a few. I mean, it could be like you invest now and then you exit maybe in seven, 10 years, mm. like the others did with Facebook and the other mm. companies. So it's, I mean, yeah, as you said, the, the rewards are exponential. So it will be maybe a time to, to shift yeah. the way we do banking. I mean, like, okay, guys, we told you, you heard mm. this on parole. Uh, so <laughs> so <laughs> when is your PhD yeah. then? When do you get your PhD? What's the project? Obviously, Jamie's your baby. How is this like this project of, of yours uh, coming up pre-COVID, post-COVID? I don't know. When it comes to PhDs, the question not, not to ask is like, when, when, do you, when do you get your PhD? Because like, you, you really never know when you get your PhD. <laughs> you know, like no. uh, hopefully around 20, 20, 23, 20, 24, that's when like... That's um, when we celebrate. That's just to get a glimpse <laughs> of when we'll be ready to drink the beers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I, but I'm looking into building machine learning tools that, that can help in the diagnosis of chest pathologies, but very mm-hmm. much specifically in, in low resource settings. And I think by doing that, uh, I want to be able to democratize machine learning to, to solve our local problems. Back home, we do have people who can code. We do have, we do, we do have people who, who know uh, 
machine learning AI, but being able to do that requires a lot of computational resources. Like uh, you, you need GPUs, uh, which are basically like computational engines that you use to train machine learning algorithms. It's the big companies that actually have access to those, like the Google, the Microsoft, the, the, the Facebook. So right now, um, like the idea is to be able, it's basically be able to build tools that can actually still work without necessarily needing GPUs. Okay. Uh, so that uh, the developers back home, data scientists back home can be able to look at our local problems and be able, oh, like I can actually solve this without necessarily needing all these like extra computational engines. Wow. Do you prepare your, I mean, do you prepare? No. Do you work on your, on your PhD? with a company or do you do it alone? There are some uh, PhDs that are connected with a company. My PhD is not. My PhD is uh, connected with, no, with no. the university, with my yeah. at the university. Thanks a lot for your work. And as I said, we'll prepare the Guinnesses, maybe in my case, maybe water or wine, because <laughs> Brahudi will send you some. <laughs> <laughs> uh, absolutely. <laughs> let, let's, let, let's cross fingers we get there. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's fine. And in three years, I mean, in three, yeah, two, three years, something yeah. can happen. Good luck, not even good luck, good work with uh, Jamie and your team, because what you said is that uh, for the people, obviously I'll link everything, but uh, Jamie is like a bunch of Africans in your team, co-founders, yeah. and this is great as well. And, you know, it's like you speak, although I don't like this to say this, you speak the African language. It makes sense for us African. I don't like to hear it from outsiders just so you know yeah there you go we wish you the best and uh i mean i don't know do you have another like the last word for you you want to say to burundians to colleagues to friends i don't know uh first uh thank you so much for having me here and 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 for for the uh, light-hearted conversation i think <laughs> uh, i really had a lot of fun talking about this i think that's for uh burundi and burundians uh i just want to say that follow your dreams and reach out to people who you think can be able to be helpful if you're passionate about something pursue it in my work uh, in my network but yeah you definitely you learn something in the process I, I, I think that the journey is what is interesting not necessarily like the outcome for people who want to get in touch with you obviously i think uh, linkedin is the first place and then for those who want to be more personal dms on instagram Maybe you'll send the, you'll give us book recommendations for machine learning. I have a book on blockchain. I'm still processing the, the book. Mm. Okay. I understand the cryptocurrency, I guess. So it's just me. I want to invest in the right crypto, mm. not like the, the Dogecoin and the Bitcoins. Mm. Although I don't have the means to, to buy the Bitcoin now. So <laughs> that one is easy. But yeah, to have, you know, on machine learnings, obviously, and to just learn. And, and yeah. that's, that's a beautiful thing you said. It's like when you don't know, you just read books and you read articles. And although it doesn't always make sense at the first read, mm. you know, who knows? Push it. Yeah. So I don't know if you have any book recommendations, by the way. Just go I, ahead. I would say uh, there's this book uh, called Hands on Machine Learning. It's a very nice uh, overview of like, of like machine learning and the deep learning in, in, in a way that's very much applied and like doesn't necessarily like go way too deep uh but like deep, deep enough to make you feel like you can actually do something if you want to go further you can read deep learning by goodfellow there's also this other book by murphy 
they call it the Murphy book, but actually don't even remember the title. Murphy book. I'll, I'll make sure that I have <laughs> okay, the right yeah. title. All right. Thanks, Hips, as they say in Australia. And uh, good day in Oxford. Thank you so much. Uh, you have a nice day too. Uh, You're welcome.